Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Audio Judo. I'm Matthew. And I'm Kyle. And we are members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, home of the first HD podcast, Rock and Roll Archaeology. Check that out if you are interested. Uh, Pantheon is a group of music-related podcasts, all in one location. So go to pantheonpodcasts.com and check out some more options. Kyle, what are we talking about today? I was about to say uh, HD, that is high definition, not hard to Whatever. Uh, it's high definition. High, high definition. definition, that is correct. Okay, just wanted to make sure. I believe uh, that is, uh, yes. Today we are talking about uh, Daft Punk's uh, Discovery. Ooh. 2001. French electronic music pioneers. Yes, absolutely. Daft Punk. This was your choice. It was. And when it appeared on the schedule, I was a little uh, taken aback. Yeah. A, because I know a lot of their stuff is instrumental. Mm-hmm. B, it seems like a bit of an odd choice considering the other stuff you have chosen. Yes. Chosen. Chosen? Chosen. Chosen. And C, I know of it, but I don't know that much about it. So it's going to be, so it was a yeah. uh, heavy research yeah, okay. for me. Well, that's, so, that's good. Uh, what was your uh, reasoning behind this? Uh, so uh, I first heard this when it came out in 2001 because I had a friend named Randall who was very much into uh, like techno and house music. And uh, he's somebody that, uh, at the time, I totally made fun of him for being very uh, into his uh, high school studies and, and trying to get ahead in life. And I kept, kept telling him, like, man, you got to relax a little bit, pull it back. We're in high school. It's fine. You don't need to do all this. He's now by far the most successful of the people that I went to high school with. Imagine how that works. Uh, his, he it's just sold his company to Facebook a couple of years ago, and he's now a vice president at Facebook. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, he's also been on uh, several television shows. Uh, he used to run a bunch of technology blogs back in the early 2000s, and he would be like the person that CNN would call on to talk about the new iPhone. Oh. So, yeah. He's on television. Big deal. You know, I walked through the background of a television show one time. I mean, Come CNN. On. <laughs> Anyways, uh, he introduced this album to me. Oh. Uh, and it became like, it was one of those albums that uh, at the time, and we've we've talked about this in real life. I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast. Mm, IRL. How there's um 
albums that come along and you listen to them at the time when they're new and you're like, oh my God, it's just this huge mental explosion. You're like, this is all new. This is all amazing. And then in retrospect, later on, if you were to go back and listen to them, you're like, wait a minute, this sounds like everything that came after it. Mm, and uh -huh. it's because it was first. That's what makes it so important. I know we talked a little bit about uh, Velvet Underground. Yes. Uh, how a lot of their early stuff, you listen to it now and you're like, yeah, it's just kind of like low-key rock from the 60s. But at the time they were doing it, it was like, whoa, this is new and amazing and nobody had done that before. Discovery is one of those albums. Mm. It really changed the scene for like house music and techno music and a lot of the stuff that we have today a lot of the edm stuff um a lot of the modern like techno that exists can be traced directly back to this album okay it had huge exposure in dance clubs it was kind of an early internet sensation and then we'll get to this a little bit later but it also had this unique i guess you'd call it a music video uh that went along with it there yeah. was a, a complete full feature length animated film that has no dialogue, uh, just the music to this album. It's really good, by the way, if you get a chance to go see it. But uh, we'll, we'll we'll get to that. Sure. Would you uh, would you say you like to choose stuff just to choose it because it's different from what you chose before, or is it something not quite so nefarious? You mean like album wise? Yeah. Um, a lot of times recently, I've been picking stuff that. So what I'm trying to ask here is, are you just trying to screw with me? Yes, oh. I'm trying to totally just fuck with you. All right, that's. You... I just want to get it on no. the table. <laughs> Just let's just get it out in the open here. Not specifically you. All right. Um, in general, though, I, I have been trying to. I don't want to just keep picking because I love rock. I love rock albums. And if we sat here, we could become we could just do classic rock albums over and over and over. Again. Oh, there's no doubt. But I know I'm I'm glad for the challenge. I think that it's worthwhile to like look outside of the box a little bit and say, what other albums did I listen to or do I still listen to that are important to me and that I really enjoy? And that I think people out there would enjoy. Hey, we're doing a country album. Right? So, yeah, I Garth mean. Brooks is coming up soon. That's right, Randy. Don't give me a look. It's coming. <laughs> yeah. So that's good. But, okay. I, I will say this. Yes. Though, uh, uh, my opinion on this album. Ten years ago, I really loved this album. Twenty years ago-ish. I really loved this album when it came out. Today, it is a little slow. Okay. A little slow and a little repetitive. And it's just, the, it's that style of you know, whatever you want to call it, techno house, whatever, that style is very repetitive. And I think that's that's something we're going to address as we move forward yes. uh, through the track by track. For, for anyone who's not familiar, uh, Daft Punk mm. is a French electronic music duo formed in 1993. They are Guy Manuel de Homem Cristo yes. and the much more realistically named Thomas Bangalter. Both very French names. Uh, originally, they were an in indie rock band named Darlin', mm -hmm. which uh, disbanded. And after that breakup, they started to experiment with uh, drum machines, synthesizers, stuff like that. Besides their uh, music, they are known for their anonymity and for wearing very ornate helmets. Yes. They rarely grant interviews, and they fiercely guard their privacy. So uh, we know them by their music, yeah. more or less. They are kind of an enigma for the most part, which you know makes research a little more difficult. Uh, some of the things I did find out, this was the first release that they started to wear the robot costumes mm -hmm. uh, that they came to be known for. Uh, they claimed that they had become robots as a result of an accident that occurred in the studio. The group told the press that they were working uh, in the studio on 9.09 a.m. on 9 September 1999 when their sampler exploded. 
Uh, and they had to undergo reconstructive surgery. And after regaining consciousness, they realized they had become robots. I hate when that happens. <laughs> it just it happens to so many people. It's so sad. It is unfortunate. But uh, in case anybody cares, uh, Alexandre Cortez. AOC? Yes. Yeah. No, different. Uh, this is a oh. French filmmaker. Oh, damn it. Sorry. And uh, designer. I uh, thought we just got political and I was getting excited, <laughs> but never mind. All right. Uh, he helped them design the helmets, and they were built by a company called the Altarian Company, uh, headed by a man named Tony Gardner. They do special effects for films and things. Is it in Montreal? Uh, I actually don't know where they're located. Um, it's just a guess. It's interesting to me <laughs> that they didn't just like put these together in their garage or whatever. They had a special effects company come up with them. That's pretty cool to me because they took it seriously. It wasn't just some gimmick. They were well, like, yeah, hey, let's let's buy into this. You got uh, money and time. Yeah. Uh, that's usually what happens. Let's, you know, I got a couple more things I can go ahead about this while we're still here. You mentioned, uh, Darlin, their ba their original band. Yes. It's named after the Beach Boys song, Darlin, uh, which they did a cover of, which is very hmm. interesting, mm -hmm, not mm -hmm. to my personal taste, but maybe somebody out there will like it if you can find it. Uh, that band also had, uh, a member named Laurent Brankowitz who later went on to work, uh, in the band Phoenix. Ah. Which is uh, very famous. Uh, and they have since done collaborations and Daft Punk showed up at the end of one of Phoenix's biggest concerts. And Phoenix has done collaborations with Daft Punk since then. Mm -hmm. Their name actually came from a review in Melody Maker, May 1st, 1993, by Dave Jennings, who dubbed their music when they were in Darlin' uh, a Daft Punky thrash. Mm. They saw that and it apparently had taken them a long time to come up with the name Darlin'. And they saw that and they were, right? They saw Daft Punky Trash and they were like, Daft Punk, that's our new name. That's it. That's what we're going for. That's usually how it happens. That's usually how the best band names happen. Yeah. It just, just someone just spits it out and you're like, there it is. And instead of sitting in your room for like four days going, I don't know how it's hmm. lamp. No, eh. no, that's crap. What about the bedspread? Uh, garbage can. No, that's weird. Pillow. Yeah, it just has to be someone just has to yell it out. Pillow sheet. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. It's a jazz uh, fusion man, I think. Copyright 2020 Cockards one. <laughs> so I figured we'd talk about the cover art right away because yeah. we can lead into uh, the, what we what you were just alluding to with the um, the music video. Sure. So uh, cover art, pretty simple. Mm -hmm. uh, embossed version of the band name. Uh, what is It's referred to as a word mark. Yes. I'm guessing that is a trademark being utilized as a band name. You know, it's a word mark. In addition to the standard release, there is also a Japanese release. Mm -hmm. uh, the cover-up for that one is a little more memorable as far as art is concerned. Maybe not as recognizable as the word mark, but more artistically appealing. Yes. For the album, they developed a series of animated uh, or anime as music videos that merge science fiction and the entertainment industry. And that was called Interstellar 5555, The Story of the Secret Star System which utilized, as you mentioned, uh, the Discovery album as the soundtrack. The story of the secret star system is super sweet. <laughs> the cover of the Japanese release shows the characters from that anime. So yeah. I'm sure you have something about that. Yeah. When they were kids, they watched a lot of Japanese anime, uh, including some of their favorites were Captain Harlock, Grendizer, uh, and Candy Candy, which were both created by... Uh, I saw his name and I didn't write it down. Uh, his name is Leji Matsumoto, who had created Captain Harlock and several other TV shows and anime that they had uh, liked when they were children. They literally 
packed up the album, flew to Tokyo after they were done recording it, packed up the album, flew to Tokyo, and were like, we want you, with some concept art as well, we want you to make this for us. It would be, you know, like, we would love it if you would do this for mm-hmm. us. So he joined the team as their visual sh- supervisor. There was a, a man named Shinji Shimizu who was contra- who was contracted to produce the animation, and uh, Kazishi Takanuchi was contracted to direct the film. Uh, it took two and a half years. They started in October 2000. It was done, uh, like I said, two and a half years after that, and it was released April 2003. Okay. So it actually came out two years after, after the album. Sure. But it is, uh, like I said before, it's a feature-length film with no dialogue, only the audio from Discovery, some extended tracks from Discovery, to be fair, but only the audio from Discovery is used in the film. It is beautiful, mm. uh, if you've never seen it. Never seen it. Uh, it is very beautiful, and it is very... Um, Japanese <laughs> and very anime ish. Not surprised, really. It, it does a really great job of visual storytelling. I, for a long time, had a copy of it uh, on DVD and I loaned it to somebody and they broke it. Oh boy. So I no longer have a copy. That of it. always happens. Right. I'm still sad about that. I also realized the other day I, I bought this on uh, uh, CD mm-hmm. when it came out. And the other day when I started trying to listen to it. I was like, oh, I should find that so I can look at the liner notes. It's nowhere to be found now. Yeah, it's gone. I am disappointed. <laughs> so as you alluded to, uh, the album was released on uh, February 26, 2001. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of their stuff, it is a slow burn to get to the point of release. Uh, they had been working on this record off and on for the better part of three years before finally uh, putting it together. Uh, in the meantime, they had worked on material for their own solo labels while also assembling this record. Yeah. They also did a couple of tours in there as well. And you, you keep busy. Yeah. But they re- <laughs> recorded it for the most part in their own studio, Daft Studio. Yes. Uh, which is located in uh, Bangalter's home in Paris. And I know I've harped on this before, uh, but when an artist has the freedom to record in his or her home, uh, there's no sense of urgency to get the material out. Yeah. It's almost a leisurely pace to finish something. You can revisit it a thousand times if you want, whenever you want. And for me, there's a certain degree of spontaneity lost from the process when you record that way. That's just my opinion. I know that it's cheaper to make music now and more convenient and everyone can do it now, but that might be why I think so much new music sucks. Agreed. Because people that wouldn't have necessarily had enough talent to get discovered before can get material out, and sometimes when you hear it, you wish you hadn't. Yeah. But that's me. That's I'm old school. I feel like something else that happens, too, is a lot of people still—I know that we, we talk about albums a lot, and we love albums. Some music doesn't need to be an album. You know what I mean? And oh, I, I agree feel like a that. lot of people try to pad out things to turn them into albums— so they say, oh, I can't just release two tracks. I have to release, you know, 12 tracks. And I think that that's something that has, has picked up more today is, like you said, as people are just recording stuff in their studio, they're like, let's release these two good tracks and 10 that are eh, whatever we recorded last week. And that's an album. Right. And that, well, the there's door. definitely single artists, artists that are well suited yes. to write a single. And that's why there's a there was a death. There used to be a genre of rock and roll music called AOR album-oriented rock. Mm. They were stations designed to play album-oriented rock, not pop singles. And when that that died out, bands still felt it necessary that maybe they weren't qualified to write 
an entire record, or maybe they just didn't have the the depth to write 12 quality songs yeah. and maybe focus on two. And that's okay. If you're good at just writing two, just write two damn songs. But there's something to be said for an entire narrative. And, and a lot of that has been lost to, you know, we know that someone's only going to pick out these three songs on Spotify and never look at the other nine again. Yeah. And, you know, it's disappointing. It is. You want to talk about the production of the record? Uh, sure. Or you got anything on that? Well, I was going to say that uh, I know that something that kept coming up in uh, reading about this album, apparently Aphex Twins song Window Liquor served as the inspiration for a lot of their the change to their sound because they moved from what was called the Chicago house sound to uh, post-disco, techno house, mm-hmm. funk house, Euro house, tech beat. I kept seeing There's Apex about 20 Twin different things that show up referenced. for what type they are. Yeah. Uh, if you've never heard Window Liquor, it is a very weird song. <laughs> Sounds like, weird. Go give it a listen. It's uh, it's only like three or four minutes long, and uh, it's from an EP, so it's not like part of a whole album, but... Very, uh, hmm. it definitely, you can hear the influences really strongly in there. The other thing I think we should probably talk about production wise is, uh, there's a ton of sampling on this album. A lot of the stuff that people think is sampled, Daft Punk actually recreated from scratch. So they went in and said, okay, what was this band using to make this sound and how can we recreate it oh, today you, in the studio? You're going to steal my thunder? I might. Part of it is, uh. You are do you call steal it, it. do you call this sampling or not is my question do you say okay they literally remade something that sounds exactly like you know whatever I think if the they original re- was. I think if they remake it it's not a sample I, I feel like a sample is exactly that it's a sample. like I've pulled four bars out of a song a sample of it and and reproduced it not recreated it yeah this is a, a huge argument on the internet, and it has been for years really? and years and years. Yeah. Whether or not this is considered, because if you literally recreate it- I'm on the wrong exactly, exactly the same. Is it considered copying that? Is it considered uh, a, a homage to that? Is it considered- mm. uh, Homage? A homage. A homage. Homme <laughs> du homage. Uh, or, you know, wh- what do you consider that? Mm. And a lot of people can't agree on it, but there are. I would consider that a recreation, but. There are at least five direct samples on this album mm-hmm. that we know of. The Discovery liner notes specify a permitted use of samples for four tracks on the album. Part of George Duke's I Love You More is featured in Digital Love. Uh, Edwin Birdsong's Cola Bottle Baby was sampled for Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger. Uh, the Imperial song Can You Imagine is used for Crescent Dolls. Barry Manilow's Who's Been Sleeping in My Bed is credited for Superheroes. And it is believed that One More Time contains a sample of Eddie John's song More Spell on You, which was reported to be officially cleared despite it being uncredited in the liner notes. Man, lawyers for this kind of stuff are busy. Very, I'm sure. Busy? Because I don't hear all that. Yeah. You got to have a real keen ear. What is really crazy, too, is there are people out there who take, like, uh, we did... uh, uh, the Beastie Boys, uh, mm-hmm. several episodes ago. And one of the resources that I used in researching that was there was a, a guy on YouTube, and I'm unfortunately, I don't have this person's name right off the top of my head uh, or their username on YouTube. If I remember, I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> I 
I'll try. I promise. Uh, <laughs> By the way, Beastie Boys was episode 28. Oh, thank you. Episode 28. Yeah. Go back and listen to that if you haven't. It's a good episode. Um, he literally had every single track on that album broken down on YouTube and played each piece that was a sample side by side with the original. So you could sit there and hear the Beastie Boys version of it and then the original and then the next Beastie Boys version original. Beastie Boys version original. It was amazing okay, to, to see them job. side by side. And on top of that, it was super informative because he's like, here's the five that they officially licensed. And then here's 20 more that they probably used, Oof. but did not license because there maybe wasn't enough of it or they kind of, you know, changed it enough that they didn't feel like they had to license it. That's insane. Unbelievable that somebody has that kind of talent to first of all, hear it. Right. And then be able to sit down and say, oh, yeah, I know that sample. It's from this album from 1976. Let's go find that and get it and cut it up. And Right. It's it right one thing to, to know that it's a sample to begin with. Yeah. But then to know what it is. One other thing. I shouldn't keep saying he. I don't know this person. I don't know who they are. They, uh, however, yeah, God, have Kyle? done this with hundreds of albums and thousands of songs. How dare you? I know. I'm such a jerk. It's 2020. Be uh, be a little more correct. So I, uh, I can speak to this before we get to the track by track. Yeah. Um, got to number two in the UK and France. Yes. Peaked at number 23 on the US charts. Mm-hmm. Sold somewhere between, somewhere around 3 million copies worldwide. So it's no slouch. Yeah. Uh, naturally, it was a much bigger hit in their native France than here in the States. Yes. Um, Kyle, are you a secret French fan? A secret French fan? Hey, you worked for a French entertainment company. You want to talk about French records? I've seen you eat French fries before. Oh. What's up with that? Matthew, I am secretly <laughs> French. I have been hiding it all along. I'm just I'm, saying. Mon Dieu. I'm on to you. I'm on to you. You are on to me, mon Dieu. So, uh, track by track? Let's do it. Track right. by track. Starts out like this. So in case you couldn't tell, that song was called One More Time. Hey, one thing we're going to have a difficult time uh, with on this album breakdown is exploring the lyrical content of the record. Yes. Because there just really isn't yeah. that much of it. And that is one of the things, uh, you know, a lot of albums that we've discussed have very deep, meaningful lyrics. They have very poetic lyrics. This has very childish, simple, repetitive lyrics. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot to explore there. And it, but it's, for, for better or worse, I don't think that that's... The lyrics, I think, are... They're I hate, secondary. I hate to say this. They're inconsequential to the music. I agree. Here. But this is the epitome of the genre. It's yes. the dance music style. This is not a song mostly... Uh, that Mostly the album. It's not a song that you just sit and listen to. Yes. This is a record that is designed to be danced to for a long time. Yes. The exercise and stamina, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> starts with what would become a calling card for this record, in my opinion, is that beat starts as this distant, muffled version of the song, yeah, which is very prevalent throughout this. No bass, just a real trebly beat. There's like four or five instances on this record alone of that. 
Um, vocals are by uh, artist uh, Romanthony. Yes. And features super auto-tuned vocal work that was very popular in the day. Mm-hmm. He was a hip-hop artist known as, uh, he was, the actual name was DJ Anthony Wayne Moore. Ooh. Who's uh, known for working with Daft Punk and unfortunately not much else. Uh, but he did have a unique voice, and yes. uh, sadly, he passed away in 2013 at the age of 45. Yeah. Uh, Guy Manuel de Homem Cristo said, uh, we thought the funkiness of his voice fit the funkiness of the music. And I definitely think it does. I'd say that's, uh, that's a fair assessment. Mm. This, uh, this album version includes a two-minute breakdown. The single version contains, uh, it's eight minutes long, and it contains a much longer breakdown, obviously, and some other content. Uh, and there's an unplugged version, which was also released in the remix album uh, Daft Club, which came a few years after this. Hmm. Uh, this single of this also, uh, U.S. Dance Club Songs, uh, Bill, excuse me, Billboard U.S. Dance Club Songs, number one in 2000, 2001. U.K. Dance, number one, 2000, 2001. France Dance, 2000, 2001, number one. Canada Dance. Number one, 2000, 2001. Right. Number 61 on the Billboard chart. Mm-hmm. But it was a much bigger critical hit than it was commercial hit. Yes. It appears on numerous best of the decade lists, even appearing on Rolling Stone's top 500 songs of all time at 307, which is wow. baffling to me. That, I did not see that one. Right? That's it, interesting. It's a good song and all, but I wonder if it had to do with the lack of representation of dance songs on that list. And they felt they needed to have something from all genres. Hmm. You know, it just, really? You're that, trying to tell me you can't come up with, no. I would be curious <laughs> to know how many how many techno songs and how many uh, house and dance and trance songs ended up on that list. I'm, I'm guessing very few. I'm guessing less than a handful. And I would, I would imagine, say you're probably right. I would imagine, I kind of agree with you. I think this is probably on there because they were like, you know. It's a political move. Exactly. Rolling Stone's nothing if not a political organization. <laughs> that, that is very true. Hope you're listening. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Heather told me not to bash them anymore. But oh. Sorry, couldn't how, help it. How come? In case they're listening. Oh. <laughs> what, what are they going to do? Come here and beat us up? <laughs> oh, God, they're here. No. Uh, that was just your dog. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't mean I'm not going to get beat up, but... Uh, it still could happen. Yeah. Aerodynamic is the next song. This is a great song. Yes. And I think this is really where the album begins. I feel like One More Time could go anywhere on this record. It doesn't really matter. But this is a great opener, right? This, is, this one has all of those elements. First of all, this is what I think Daft Punk does so well, better than anyone else in the genre. I know dance music is designed to last a long time. People want to dance for hours. Yeah. But how do you make it interesting? It can't be the same thing for hours, can it? You know, I'm probably wrong. But I still, <laughs> I still think it has to have some sort of appeal. And Daft Punk are the masters of layering slowly of addition and subtraction. Very subtly, you can hear them add a new instrument into the beat, and then maybe they take something away. It's it's really clever. Yeah. And when you do listen to it several times, you can hear all of that care in there into layering and structuring it in a certain way to maximize the interest of it. Also, this song could easily be like a classical piece of music if you change the instruments around. Hmm. That Ingve Malmsteen-like guitar riff that dominates the song could could be changed to a violin and it would still work you mean this one right here (laughs) 
Bangalter and uh, De Homem Cristo have both said uh, in separate interviews, this song was a combination of all the things that they like to listen to as children. So even like the beginning is this loud, like church bell kind of a sound yep. that totally sounds like uh, ACDC's Hell's Bells or uh, Black Sabbath by Black Sabbath. That's what I thought that was at first. Or uh, I can't remember that meatloaf song that starts with the bells. I don't know. Uh, anyways, yeah. But it, it's, it's, this song is great because it starts out with that and then it goes into this funk groove and then it breaks for that long guitar solo and then it goes into this sort of light electronic ending. Yeah. Um, it is it is a, a wonderful song, and I agree with you. I think this would have been a better opener to this album. I agree. Just that the bell, just imagine just putting this on and it's quiet, and then you just hear dong, dong, and then it cuts into the song. It's a very, very cool song. Yeah. The next track on Discovery, Digital Love. Yeah. Even just the title, the concept here of, you know, love moving online. You got to remember 2001, this was still like a new thing. People weren't dating mm. online. People weren't meeting each other online. That was still like a new concept. And this really feels like um, a little bit ahead of its time, really. I didn't, uh, I didn't even think about that. So it starts off with that super muffled sound again. Mm -hmm. It's weird. But then I have two words for you. Owl City. Yes. Does this not sound exactly like it the does. vocal sound from Owl City? This, yeah. And that song, Fireflies, right? Yeah. So... This predates it by six years, but I can't help but this had some direct influence on their sound, would you Owl say City's that, sound. Would you say that you would not believe your eyes? Yes, I would not believe my huh. eyes. When 10 million, million fire fireflies yeah. huh. <laughs> talked about the song Digital Love by Daft Punk. That's, all right, that's just, interesting. When I hear it, that's all I heard. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was saying, it's definitely that, that kind of sound. A lot of people, I don't know if I can say this is the first, because I don't know that definitively. But that sort of vocal and the sound that they have here definitely is something that exploded around this time. Sure. Uh, and kind of carried on for the next five or ten years. It's also that keyboard sound doesn't help. Yeah. I, I mean, it kind of pours into it. So famously, the song was used in a Gap ad yeah. with Juliette Lewis that featured the band dancing around with her. So I'm guessing in some sweet, stylish Gap threads. <laughs> That's what I'm guessing. The uh, the lyrics for this were written by DJ Sneak. It's nice. It's it's out of character for them because it is a nice. It's a song yeah. about longing, and there's actually some meaning behind them. And once the vocals kind of drop out, you pick up this really nice groove, right? The instrument yeah. instrumentation is great, and this is one of the this is one song on the record. There's only a couple that benefit from something that dance music rarely devotes any time to, and that's uh, the bridge. I kind of liken music writing to a sandwich, you know, you, you got the bread and the meat and the veggies and you layer them all together. Verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bread, meat, veggies, meat, bread, hell of a sandwich, but there's something missing, something to give it a little zip, a little flavor, perhaps some Miracle Whip Ooh, or mustard, whatever. That he, little Matthew something is holding up a jar of Miracle Whip, everyone. Hey, that little something extra that changed it. And that's the bridge. And it can still be a hell of a sandwich without the sauce. There are many that, that are that way, but it makes it so much better when it's there. A lot of dance music, this record included, suffers from that lack of bridges. However, this one has it. And it's this cool little piano breakdown part that fits in so nice. I think you were referencing it. Yeah. Apparently, they were looking for a super tramp yes. kind of vibe 
to the bridge. Uh, yeah, uh, the Home of Cristo noted that the duo's use of in-studio equipment to evoke the sound of a previous artist uh, on this song. Uh, he said, you get this Supertramp vibe on the bridge. We didn't sample Supertramp, but we had the original Wurlitzer piano they used, so we thought it would be more fun to have the original instrument and mess around with it. We used mainly vintage synthesizers like older electric pianos, like the Rhodes Wurlitzer clavinet. We didn't use the clavinet on Discovery, Discovery, but I usually use it in my studio. Mm. And this totally, this sounds like a Supertramp song. Like um, there's a quote going around online that uh, is from a friend of Daft Punk and occasional collaborator, Chili Gonzalez, mm. uh, who said uh, of the unresolved chord progression, uh, he said, excuse me, the unresolved chord progression derived from the sample that the suspended harmonies contribute to the song's sense of longing and desire. Hmm. 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 I'd have hmm. to think about that. Either yeah. way, it's very unique. It is. It's a it's a it's a unique song. I do I do like it. Just weird. Yeah. The next song, yeah, possibly one of their most famous songs until very recently. What is it? Uh, harder, better, faster, stronger. Hmm. Full disclosure: I did not have any knowledge of Daft Punk as a band until about 2010. Hmm. Uh, before that, including the first time I heard this song, I thought they were just the DJs performing with Kanye West. <laughs> uh, First time I heard this song was during the Grammy Awards in 2008 with Kanye and them, and they were in those weird robot DJs in a giant pyramid. And come to find out many years later that they were Daft Punk. And what else went by me that night was that they won Grammy Award for Best Dance Recording for a live version of this particular song. Mm -hmm. I only became aware of them, uh, you know, as a band from my oldest son because he loved the soundtrack for Tron Legacy, oh, yeah, uh, which really Daft good. Punk did. And I didn't really have any like context for them. But so this, it's a very interesting song with all that vocoder, vocoder stuff going on. And it's really enhanced by their ability to add and subtract from the music. Like I mentioned before, uh, I'm probably going to bring that up a lot because yeah. it's well, really okay. a signature, but the best description that I read for this song is that it's like an assembly line. I was just about to say that same thing. It's like a machine or an assembly line. Yeah, at the beginning of the song, all these parts are disjointed and kind of scattered throughout the track. And then as the song comes together, so do these disparate parts until the end is coherent and complete. Uh, and I really, I really like that description of how a song gets put together. Song itself is based off of a sample, and I'm sure you have some information on that mm -hmm. aspect of it, Kyle. Yeah, uh, so it's a sample from a Cola Bottle Baby, uh, the keyboard riff from this. Uh, is from Cola Bottle Baby, 1979, by funk musician Edwin Birdsong. Uh, and in 2018, uh, Birdsong said in an interview, I recorded Cola Bottle Baby 30 years ago, and here comes some guys from France. I asked them, where did you find the music? And they said, I was going through bins and it popped out. <laughs> <laughs> but literally, I mean, it was just like a completely forgotten song. And uh, they found an old album with it on there and then sampled it and used it. Right, and they're probably paying him... 
I hope he probably was, he probably wasn't getting any money for years and years and years, and now yeah. here comes these checks. I hope so, especially because a lot of people consider this to be one of the most influential dance tracks of the early 21st century, because yeah. it has been it has influenced so many people, uh, so many artists and musicians. It has been sampled by so many people. It's been remixed by so many people in other mediums too. In fact, there's so many covers and remixes, I could not find a comprehensive list of them, which I thought was a lot of times when there's songs that have been remixed and uh, repurposed, you can go look and be like, oh, there's like 82 of them or whatever. This one, nobody has made a comprehensive list. There are tens of lists that try that have hundreds of songs on each one. It's got very few crossover. Yeah. Uh, However, two of my favorite covers of this song. Mm -hmm. The first is by a band called Steam Powered Giraffe. And it is the... Why do you come up with this stuff? <laughs> you just find it over the years when you hang out in weird places on the internet. Steampunk giraffe. Hold on. Steam-powered giraffe. Steam-powered giraffe. I'm uh, however, down. they are steampunk. It is... Look up the... Uh, I'll try to remember to post a, a link in the show notes. Well, I'm making a note of it now. Thank you. The music video for it is very, very bizarre, but also very uh, fun. And it's a very unusual version of the song. I'd expect nothing less. The other one which I heard accidentally several years ago, is by a band called uh, La Pompe Moderne. Mm, sounds uh, French. And it is called Plus Dur, Milieu, Plus Rapide, Plus Fort. Mm. Which, the best way I can describe this, it is an unplugged French folk version of the song. They've changed the lyrics. It's all in French. They've changed the lyrics to be sort of a revolutionary workers song. Oh. Sort of. And it's kind of done to make fun of modern pop music. They took this song in particular and changed it so that it makes fun of modern pop music and the the modern entertainment machine. I honestly, it is very, the that cover is all over YouTube, so you can find it. Finding any information about it <laughs> is incredibly difficult because everything about them is in French and I don't speak French. So hopefully somebody, somebody out there that oh, speaks your French, French. Love you don't speak. I don't French? speak any French. This is strange. So Google Translate did its best, but uh, finding any real information about them is very difficult. Hmm. So we I, get a French listeners out there. Let us know. Yes, and it's probably gonna. The one thing that did I did find a little disturbing, the Google Translate kind of made it sound like they might be an incredibly right wing French band. Uh-oh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. And then I read it again, and I was like, wait, maybe they made fun of the right-wing politicians Ooh, is it in satire? France? And it's satire? I don't know. So hopefully it doesn't turn out that they're like some like French Nazi band or something. But <laughs> we should have surrendered earlier during <laughs> World War II. <laughs> so this, this song was also used uh, in an episode of Grey's Anatomy mm. and also used in the theatrical trailer for the Disney movie Ralph Breaks the Internet. Mm-hmm. So 19 years on, it still has some legs. Yeah. Right? And uh, when it was released, it charted as high as number three on the U.S. dance chart. So that's significant. Yeah. Crescendals? I've always pronounced it crescend- Crescendals. Oh. But I, see, I pronounce it Crescendals like because crescendo. I think it's a play on the word crescendo. Oh, I like which that. Which the song does expertly in the way that it is put together. So this is, in my opinion, that this is a song that benefits most from that super smart addition subtraction. Yeah. I could do without the constant get down hey. <laughs> get down hey. Which can get super annoying if you're trying to really hear all the other things going on in the song so you can write about them for the podcast you need to record. 
<laughs> but uh, I like it, but I, it's too many get down haze. That is a, a sample from uh, Can You Imagine by Anthony and the Imperials. Are you talking about the get down hay? Yeah. Oh, or potentially boy. Little Anthony and the Imperials. Ooh. Uh, I've saw it both ways. Uh, but it is. It's this fun, upbeat dance song. And it's like you said, it does the same thing that Daft Punk is so well known for, where it it's these little additions, little additions, little additions break right in the middle with sort of that scratching that exactly but that's why i thought it was crescendals that's but that's uh i like that i had never thought about that before uh it is also uh whether it is uh, crescendals or crescendals that is the name of the protagonist band from interstellar 5555 oh that's where that name came from interesting i like it I've got a challenge for our listeners real quick. Okay, good. I thought you were going to challenge me. No. Um, Not up for any challenge. We have in the past said, you know, hey, if you want to use the voice recorder on your phone and uh, you can email us messages, here's what I want you guys to do. Tell us how you pronounce it. Ooh. Record it. Send it. Info at audiojudo.com. Subject Daft Punk episode. And we'll see. uh, Literally, if five of you do it, that would be fantastic. If more of you do it, great. We will put them all together and play them on an episode. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have to edit that together. Yeah. I'm going to edit it to the song. Sweet. Crescendo. <laughs> so, crescendo. Crescendo. Right, crescendo. The music. It'll be good. It'll be fun. It should be fun. But if we can get, you know, five or ten people to do it, we will play it on the episode. Even if we get one person to do it. Yeah. We'll, we'll get play it one. on the episode. Yeah. But please. Even uh, if it's, you know, Kyle's dad. Yeah. Yeah, he won't do it. Oh. He can't use his phone that well. <laughs> Night Vision is the next song. It's a nice little short piece. Yeah. With some sweet jazz chords. It's the shortest track on the album, only a minute 44, and it slows it down a little bit. It's the first time I started to have an awakening about this record and mm. what this record really sounded like to me. And I'm going to address it shortly, not on this song, but later. Uh, but just remember, this is where it started. Uh, either way, it's a lovely little bridge mm. piece. I will say that uh, in Interstellar 5555, this is a scene, it's sort of a... Um, uh, a transition scene where they're walking around the city at night. That's right. where the name Night Vision came from. That's good. I, I read some, I was on some chat room thing and they're like, this song puts me to sleep. Like, well, <laughs> it's not really supposed to be actively like, I mean, it's, it's actually, just a, it's a passage. That would be super useful. It's only a, not even two so minutes a long. minute 44. You could go to bed um, two minutes every night. That'd be yeah, fantastic. It would be perfect. Superheroes is the next song. Uh, it's kind of a techno marshy song. Man, if you can get past the fact that they re- repeat the looped vocal sample mm-hmm. about a hundred times, it's actually a pretty good song. Yeah. So it really focuses on their keyboard and synth work, which is outstanding on this song. But let's talk about that sample. Okay. It is the Something's in the Air, and it is taken from the song Who's Been Sleeping in My Bed by Barry Manilow. Mm-hmm. And I know... That this is the genre, dance music, and it is repetitive, so you can get down to it for hours. But man, it gets annoying fast when you're just trying to listen to it. So, for instance, I know that at the end of Message in a Bottle by the police, Sting sings, sending out an SOS 27 times before the song officially fades away. I know this. (laughs) However, it doesn't nearly bother me as much as it does at the beginning of this song. So I'm really trying hard to listen to the addition subtraction but i can't hear it cleanly over barry's freaking loop it's good you know <laughs> but it's frustrating as hell <laughs> what do you got about this song uh, Ugh, this song drives me nuts not a whole lot actually because i don't um, mind it but it i uh, one of the things that and it's difficult to do because of the way that it's mixed because they did mix the the vocals the 
quote unquote vocals a little bit higher than the music on this. Um, a lot of people who remixed it, they level the vocals out with everything else. And then the vocals become the same as like a drum sample or a synth sample or whatever. And that to me makes it a completely different song and it makes it much more, much less than, uh, I guess, what am I trying to say here? It makes it I don't much know. more of a techno song and much less of the, I think they raised the vocals a little bit specifically to go with the music video. Okay. Because there were there was no dialogue, so the lyrics were sort of the dialogue for it. All right. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. And I, I agree with you. It gets very repetitive and very annoying when you're trying to pick stuff out of the song. Yeah, um, and you're taking your dog for a walk, and for the first two minutes, you're like, oh, come on. Like something else happened. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but you do get weird lasers at the end of this song, so that's good. Oh, yeah. High Life? High Life. Like the Miller High Life? Miller High Life. It's another weird sample to start the song, almost like they're a bit bit of a rut. I spent way too much time trying to figure out what the lady was singing in this song. Bona, bone, bonga, bong. I can't figure it out. I think it is uh, Vida Bon, which is uh, (laughs) High Life. Oh, bastard. That is good. I didn't even think or of that. Vida Bon. I didn't even think about that. Actually, I think it's technically good life, but you could translate it as high life. It's not one of my favorites. No. Because I really don't think it showcases any of their ability to innovate, which I think they're excellent at. I think it just kind of falls flat for, this is, uh, for the record. This is one of the songs that most people are about 99% sure that are into this type of thing, that there is an uncredited sample here of uh, Breakdown for Love by uh, Tavares. I don't know. Is. I have no idea who that is either. But uh, apparently it is one that is it's so close and there are some little key points in it that people have said they couldn't have recreated that. Hmm. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe. But I did make a note of it. Uncredited sample alert. Like a spoiler alert. That was yeah. smart though. So if if you are correct about what she's saying, that's smart stuff. Yeah, it took me I and again, that is from my own ears. I hate you. I don't know if that's true or not. But that's what I thought when I realized, oh, that's the name of the song. And uh, next song, something about us. Okay. This is where I really started to hone in. What were, what were you going to say? I was going to say, it's a fuck song. <laughs> Did you find it? Every time, every time I kept listening to this record, I kept wondering why it felt so familiar and yet not. So the beats had all this modern sound to it, and yet it reminded me of something old. Uh, Kyle, I'm sure you're uh, familiar with the genre of music, yacht rock. Yes. Right. Here's a short explanation for those who aren't. Uh, one of the most commercially successful genres of the mid-70s and 80s, drawing on sources such as smooth soul, smooth jazz, R&B, funk, and disco. Common stylistic traits include high-quality production, clean vocals, and a focus on light, catchy melodies. It's named, coined in 2005 by the makers of the online video series Yacht Rock, was derived from its association with the popular ca- uh, Southern California leisure activity of sailing. So my personal opinion is that the name of it is at least partially derived from one of the most successful acts of the era, Christopher Cross Hmm. and his song Sailing. Okay. Right. So anyway, I started to to notice similarities with the way Daft Punk put together their songs, the sounds that they utilized and the production qualities that they implemented. 
it led me to coin a term that best exemplifies their sound, and I'm about to unveil it for the first time. So remember, folks, you heard it here first. It was used for the first time on August 11th, 2020 on Audio Judo. Let this be our claim to fame. And many hundreds of years from now, people will be saying, I wonder where that name came from. I think Daft Punk is the first, but not only band, of the cosmic yacht rock <gasps> genre. Oh, I love it. This is the yacht rock cosmic of yacht the future. Rock. Imagine in a hundred years, people on their spaceships floating around on a leisurely Sunday, they're listening to this, just drifting along cosmic yacht rock. I love that. Thank you. That is the best term I've ever heard. When this came to me, I'm like, what the hell? This is fantastic. <laughs> so I used to always associate Yacht Rock with the dentist's office because that's what that guy always was playing when I was there. So I had some reference to it. And I can totally imagine getting my teeth drilled to one more time. <laughs> so it just has that laid back sound. The sound of Cosmic Yacht Rock. Use it all the time. I'm going to get it on T-shirts and get a trademark before the next episode airs because uh, I want to be like primed this. to capitalize. I like this. Cosmic Yacht Rock. As far, as far as the song goes specifically, it has a great groove to it. And if I can get by the obviously French guys singing in English with autotune. It might not be the right time. <laughs> and the solo from the song could be pulled from any Michael McDonald song. Oh, yeah. Cosmic Yacht Rock, man. I'm telling you, I love this, this is it. This could be the biggest discovery of all time. It's another song that suffers through the uh, lack of mustard, you know? Mm -hmm. No bridge. Yeah. And that song would be so much better with a bridge. It is. Uh, this was written for a purpose, though. Was it? Yes. So this song... Was it to inspire me to say Cosmic Yacht Rock? Cosmic Yacht Rock. It was. <laughs> it is now uh, the second greatest thing that it's done. First greatest thing. So it is in Interstellar 5555. It's a dream sequence between Shep, one of the main characters, and his uh, crush who doesn't know she's his crush, Stella. And spoiler alert, he just got shot by a laser and he's dying. And Stella reaches out and grabs him by the hand Beep as this song starts. Yeah, exactly. Stella reaches out and grabs his hand as he's dying as this song starts. And they have a dream sequence together that shows her how much he loved her. Damn dream sequence. And it was written for that. And that's why it's this kind of slow, I'm going to say it again, like a porn song, sort of a, <laughs> yeah, you know. What's, what are you doing over there? What is this? Just a little bit of the old <laughs> humpty hump, you know. <laughs> All right. I, get, I, don't, okay. I don't know what that was. I don't know. The chair rocks a little bit when I do that, though. It's fun. It's but, a good uh, song. But uh, it is because it's it fills that part of the film. I think that it's not necessarily I'm not sure that it quite fits with this album, but I think that it was a ne necessary part in order for the film to exist. OK, if that makes sense. I like it. Voyager is the next song. Uh, it's a great groove. And it again, is. addition, subtraction. Mm hmm. It has that great bass line that dominates the song, all these little bits all around it, and it has a bridge. Mm -hmm. And it's quite innovative. It has that marimba-like keyboard sound, which is really cool. See, they can do it. They can write a bridge. Yeah. This song, I always forget about. Huh. <laughs> I don't know why. It just doesn't stick out to me on this album. Uh, it, it really, it just, yeah, it doesn't stick out to me. It doesn't have any, like... No, it just kind of lays there. Me. Yeah. It's kind of a filler song, but... Yeah, well, Night Vision. Uh, yeah. There are a couple just similar, just bridge songs. Yeah. Just filling in the gap. Yeah. 
Verdis Quo. Verdis Quo. I found a fantastic explanation of this song online. I don't know if you found the same thing, Kyle. Yeah, let's see. But I'm going to read it word for word. So Veritas Quo is a bit of clever wordplay on the Latin phrase Quo Vadi, which translate, translates as Whither Goest Thou, or more simply Where Are You Going, which links back to the previous track, Voyager. Mm-hmm. The greater meaning of this phrase is to what purpose or to what end are you doing this? this there's Christian usage of this phrase, asked of Jesus. In Intercella 55, or 555, mm-hmm. the phrase Veritas Quo appears as the title of a book during the track of the same name. The Quo Vadi meaning would seem to correspond very well to this. Phonetically, the title of the song can be interpreted as Very Disco, Veritas Quo, <laughs> which reversed makes Discovery, joining the words... Uh, conveniently, the name of the album, Discovery. <laughs> so I don't know how much of that is intentional or accurate, but it makes for some fine reading and right? contemplating. I, I do wonder if the Discovery and uh, Very Disco thing is something that just sort of happened. But then again, it, it very well could be intentional. It could be. It, it, when I first heard it, uh, after I knew what the title was, I thought it was it was smart to do what they did. So using Latin, the language of the church... And utilizing the the sound of a church organ to dominate a lot of that song, it's subtle, but it's really well thought out because that's the that was the first thing that I thought of when they started playing that organ because it's yeah. not it's not a church organ it's a mock church organ yeah. so it's clearly they're using something to try to reproduce the sound yeah. of a church organ I, but I that's like exactly where I went I feel like it's probably the organ setting on an electronic keyboard from the 1980s oh yeah yeah, yeah. that the old Casio yeah. I do think it's funny that you found that basically the same explanation that I did. Oh. <laughs> That's good. We're doing right? our research in the same place. Right? Oh, no. Oh, that could be bad. That could be bad. Next song on here is Short Circuit. What am I listening to here, Kyle? This sounds like a slightly more updated version of Rocket by Herbie Hancock. Did I you wrote down that exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> But uh, if you've never heard this, uh, this is what it sounds like. This is the middle part of the song, anyways. Yeah, it definitely has that 80s Herbie Hancock sound to it. It's got a great groove. Yeah. And what's so great, it starts to break down into it. Like, it starts to break down a minute or so into it, kind of like their instruments are short-circuiting. Yeah. what they have, clever. They have been quoted as saying it's supposed to be um, like passing out or a robot powering down as it loses its ability to stay powered up. Ooh. I thought both of those fit very well because it really does get slower and slower and more sort of disjointed. Disjointed and electronically crackly. Right. And, uh, shit's falling apart. Yeah. It's good. Uh, this is also probably one of the earliest tracks uh, that was created for Discovery. Um, an early version of this song was played before performances of Da Funk uh, at some of the, uh, I can never pronounce this, 
Daft in Director, which was one of their tours that they did before this album. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be heard at the very beginning of the Alive 1997. Uh, I believe it's a DVD and CD collection, if I remember correctly, of one of their live performances. So this song existed at least four years before this album came out. Hmm. I like it. Yeah. Uh, face to Face. Cosmic Yacht. Cosmic, Cosmic Yacht Rock. rock. Collaboration with house music producer Todd Edwards, mm-hmm. who uh, Daft Punk claims is a big influence on their work, and they were very intimidated to work with him. Yeah, allegedly, it's very interesting. The samples that are used in this song, I usually can't pick them out. Uh, Silence and I by the Alan Parsons Project, Can't Get It Out of My Head by Electric Light Orchestra, Old and Wise by Alan Parsons Project, House at Pooh Corner by Loggins and Messina. Mm-hmm. Don't hear, I don't hear that one. Yeah. And Evil um, Woman by Yellow. House of Pooh Corner makes me so sad every time I hear it. What? Talk I, about a depressing song. I don't even hear that in there. That's okay, though. Maybe it was changed so much that uh, you don't hear it in there. I guess. But it's number one on the U.S. dance club chart, so yeah. it was a big enough hit, this, this face-to-face song. It's probably the most straight-ahead song on the whole record. Like, uh, ordinary composition, yeah. more or less. Well, uh, Todd Edwards has a very... Uh, like a cut up sort of very, I guess you'd call them tight cuts, sort of an editing style. It's very staccato. Yes. yes. And you very much hear that in this song. Bang Alter, excuse me, Bang Alter also said uh, the, uh, the preceding track, which we were just talking about, Short Circuit, represented the act of shutting down. Uh, and afterwards, you regain consciousness and you are more face to face with reality. Oh. Mm, see? I face do to like face. All right. Face to face. To face. Although I'm a little disappointed they wrote out two, T-O. I feel like it should have been face, number two, face. Like Prince style? Yeah. Oh. Oh, well. That would have been, I don't know, that would have been all right. Uh, closing track to this, Too Long. Uh, it's another appearance on vocals by Romanthony. Mm-hmm. And it is indeed Too, too Long. long. <laughs> it is 10 <laughs> minutes long. <laughs> Which, in the scope of dance music, is a relatively short amount of time. Yes. But it's a pretty classic dance song. Can you feel it? At the end of it, it only repeats itself about a thousand times. But can you feel it? Oh, my God. (laughs) Again, another one of those songs that the the riffs from this, the vocals from this have been taken and remixed and sampled and and played so many times. Every single DJ, I would argue, that exists today has at one point taken something from this song and used it. I really really wanted it to end. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. It was, uh, I just really wanted this that one, song to end. This one is very tough. I don't think I've fully, I, I listened to this once a couple of weeks ago when we started, when I started doing research for this. I think that's probably the first time I've ever listened to it beginning to end. And I haven't been able to do it since. No, I, I looked back at, after I, after the song ended and I'm like, how far did I just walk on that one <laughs> song? Did I, where am I? Yeah, it is uh very long and very ended up by Randy's house. <laughs> but uh, that's it. That's right. Discovery. All in all, it's a really good record. And mm-hmm. I, I want to thank you, Kyle, for bringing these more obscure, at least to me, yeah. albums to the podcast. Because it's really a test for me to dig in and do the research and listen to something new. It's a challenge, and that's good. I believe it has a time and a place for me. I found it's a really excellent running record. Ooh. Uh, there are a couple of times when I noticed my pace 
quickening because you start to change the running pace to the meter of the song. And I'm like, why the hell am I so winded? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm almost sprinting because that last song was just like, <laughs> <laughs> like trying to match my beat. But I like it. You know, it's it's, it's good. It's definitely, like I said, I I agree with the people who say this is probably the most influential album on er, the early part of the 21st century's dance music. Uh, it, it really just, everybody listened to this that went on, uh, how do I say this? Everybody who went on to become a DJ or to make dance music or house music or techno or whatever you want to call it, EDM, whatever, has heard this album. And most of them have taken pieces of this album to build some of their own work off of. It's at the foundation of so much of modern electronic music. It's ridiculous. Um, and thankfully, you know, as I'm sure most people know, Daft Punk went on to great success as well. Sure. Launching from Homework, their previous album, very good, had a lot of great tracks on it. But this is the album that launched their career forward. Yeah, I would say that's probably pretty accurate. Yeah. You know, like you mentioned earlier, the Tron album. Uh, Random, Random Access, Access Memories, Memories yeah. has uh, Get Lucky on it yeah. with uh, Pharrell. Great the track. Arby's Hat Guy. Yeah, the Arby's yeah. Hat Guy. It's good. Yeah. If you like this episode, everybody, and you want to hear more from Audio Judo, I encourage you to check out our uh, Patreon account at mm-hmm. patreon.com back, uh, forward slash audio judo, where you can subscribe to a couple different tiers, get access to our bonus mini episodes called Judo Chops, where we take a lesser known artist and talk about them for a few minutes. Um, as a reminder, we have episodes coming up about Bare Naked Ladies, mm-hmm. Garth Brooks, Billy Joel, Genesis, plus our annual holiday episode and best of 2020 episodes. Wow. Uh, please come back and listen and send us your feedback to info at audiojudo.com, Facebook at Audio Judo, uh, Twitter at Audio Judo, and Instagram at Audio Judo. What a surprise. We got them all. Also, if you want to get gifts like T-shirts, wine mugs, face masks, or anything with our logo on it, please go to our website, audiojudo.com, and click on the shop button. (laughs) Otherwise, keep coming back every two weeks, and we will be here. Yes. So uh, that is all I have. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. You got anything? Uh, No, you took took care of it all. I I was ready to jump in, and (laughs) you did it all. Sorry, I ran ran away with it. That's okay. I'm I'm happy with it. So there it is, everybody. Uh, Thanks for listening. Take care. Uh, We'll see you for the next episode. Bye, everybody. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 